Good morning, men, and welcome back on a beautiful Saturday morning. And uh, we're just trusting that God will pick up right where we finished off last night and continue that good work. Listen, I want to do something just real quickly before I uh, get into the Word of God this morning. But I've got a target prayer need this morning that I want to share with you and ask if we could just take a moment and remember to the Lord today. Uh, my wife and I live in a, an area in central Pennsylvania called Penns Valley. Uh, Penns Valley is a community that has a very, very significant Old Order Amish community. Uh, just in Penns Valley and Brush Valley, the two valleys there where we live, there are over 275 Old Order Amish families. And it has been a very long process for us of reaching into this community, getting to know these people. I'm talking probably 15 years plus. Many of them are our friends. Many of them are our almost like family. We're in their homes. They're in our home. We, we have a hitching rail in our yard where they tie up the buggies when they come. And, and it's become a very extensive ministry for us. Well, God began to really impress upon my heart that it was time to take this thing to a new level. And so last year, I made an effort to visit, to get acquainted with the three Amish bishops that oversee our area. And uh, it was cordial. But in January, I sent a two-page letter to the, each of these three men saying that I had a great burden for their people because many of them are dealing with the fear of death. And I have a desire to share with them, as I said, a message that is Bible-based, Christ-centered, faith-focused. And I said, I am writing to ask your permission to come to your congregations and share this message. Needless to say, I didn't expect a very favorable response. I was informed the next week that one of the bishops in an Amish church service preached a message from Matthew 7 on false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, and deceivers. And he identified me to the Amish community as a man who was seeking to be all of that. And it has created a tremendous stir in the community. But uh, here's what I'm wanting to share with you. Yesterday... I put a second letter in the mail to those three men. It's local mail. They'll all get them this morning. And uh, I included a tract in there. I had stated in my letter that I was as sure that I was going to heaven as if I had already been there. And this Amish bishop in the letter quoted that statement. By the way, wasn't that great that he gave my testimony and I didn't even have to be there? I thought that was amazing. I was so excited. Man, you just got up and told all of them exactly what I wanted them to hear. But uh, he then made this statement to his people. There is not one verse in the Bible that says you can know you have eternal life. Well, I sent them multiple pieces of literature explaining, loaded with scripture. They're getting those this morning. And uh, brethren, could I just ask, could we just bow for a moment and just join with me? I, I just feel like today is D-Day in this project, at least to this point. And uh, ask God uh, to just move in on that community. We love those people. They're like our own family. 
but uh, they're lost and they need the Lord. So would you take about 30 seconds and in your own words, just ask God to do that and then I'll, I'll pray. We'll join together in this special need. Let's pray. You've put us in this world to represent you and to share the truth of the word of God, particularly regarding the gospel and eternal salvation through Christ. And Lord, I realize every man in this room today has his world, the world in which he lives. And God, I, I pray that all of us would do the job effectively. We leave the mission field when we walk out of this building today. But Lord, today we are especially praying for these three men, uh, Stevie Esch, Abner Fisher, John Lapp. These are Amish bishops who, who basically dictate the fate of hundreds and even thousands of people who follow them. God, these men are leading these people to a godless eternity. And I pray that when those letters arrive today and, or Monday, whenever they get there, that the truth, not my words, but your words, will penetrate and break down the walls of resistance, the walls of tradition, and may their hearts and minds be opened. God, if these three men would turn to the truth, they could literally lead thousands of people into the assurance of eternal life. So God, please do that today. Thank you for the prayers of these men that have joined in as well. God, do and accomplish your will. Now guide us in the study of your word today, I pray. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Will you take your Bibles... Will you open them with me, please, today to the book of Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I was talking to a friend a while back. We hadn't seen each other for a while, and so as sometimes it goes, the conversation turned to our ministry, and the question was put to me, so are you still doing your revival meetings. And being a bit lighthearted, I said, oh no, not anymore. I said, we just travel around doing survival meetings. You say, what do you mean? You know, there was a sense in which I was being funny. There was a sense in which I was being absolutely sincere. Because to be very honest with you, sometimes I feel like that's exactly what we do. We've got to go in and almost say to people, even in churches like this one or like yours, folks, I've got good news. God is still God. And they look at you like, oh, he is? <laughs> Folks, God's word is still true. Amen. Oh, really? God still hears and answers prayer. Isn't that wonderful? And again, you almost get that look like, oh, my word, I hadn't even thought of that. You say, what are you talking about? What I'm talking about is this. 
at least by my experience and by observation, I would say that many of God's people in our generation are not thriving. At best, they're surviving. So what is the solution? What do we need? This morning I've taken you to a passage of Scripture that I think will give us some interesting perspective. The situation is this. Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected. He's in that period of 40 days, as we know, where he showed himself alive before he ascended to heaven. Luke chapter 4, or 24, recounts for us an experience that Jesus had on the road to Emmaus where he met a couple of his followers who had been in Jerusalem when he died and was buried They've gotten word that Jesus was resurrected, but in all honesty, they just don't even begin to know how to make sense of it, and they're on their way home discussing it. Unbeknownst to them, Jesus enters the scene, listens in on their conversation, brings himself into it, ends up going home with them. They sit down at the table. He begins to explain. He begins to talk. He takes the bread and breaks it, gave thanks, and suddenly, here's what the Bible says, verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him. Verse 32, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us. Now, brethren, I tell you that what I'm preaching this morning was not prepared as a sermon for a prayer conference. In fact, it was not even prepared as a sermon, period. But earlier this week, I was directed to this passage. And it sort of came out of something that I stumbled upon in some reading. I'm reading a book that was given to me when a good friend of mine went to heaven and I got his whole library on prayer. And I found this book by an author I don't even know, but it's entitled Alive Unto God Through Prayer. And in one of the chapters, he referenced a name that I was familiar with but not very familiar with. The name was Richard Halverson. It's interesting that in the book he's just spoken of as Dick Halverson. But it just so happens that this pastor in California eventually worked his way into the position of chaplain of the United States Senate where he served for many years in Washington, D.C., I began to do a little research and I ended up in another book that I have. Some of you may have read it. It's Dr. Edmonds' book, They Found the Secret. It's a book that recounts 
encounters with God that individuals had that changed their life. Not typically one to just read when I'm in the pulpit. But if you will permit me to do it, I want to read for you a, a portion of a page or two of that book because I want you to hear Richard Halverson in his own words explain what happened. After two years in Coalinga, that would be in California, I entered into a period of disillusionment. Don't forget that word. You'll hear it again. That became so acute, I felt I must leave the ministry unless something happened to alter the situation. This was resolved when after two weeks of intense aloneness and spiritual wrestling accompanied by the feeling that God had put me aside for any further useful service, I finally told the Lord I was going to continue to serve Him the rest of my life whether there were any fruit or blessing in that service and whether or not He would finally accept me in heaven. Furthermore, I was willing to be buried for the rest of my life in Koalinga to serve in obscurity there or anywhere. This was a tremendous hurdle for me for I had become very ambitious. When this was settled, I took a completely new lease on life. He continues, one month later, a group of our Sunday school teachers went to Forest Home Bible Conference in San Bernardino region of Southern California for a training conference and I accompanied them. Following the evening meeting on the second day of that conference, I joined them for refreshments and a time of prayer. This being over, I left the groups to return to my cabin. However, the way led past Miss Henrietta Mears cabin and here I was strangely constrained to enter and pray. As I approached the door, through the, though the cabin was darkened, I realized some were inside praying. Not wishing to disturb them, I waited outside for perhaps 10 or 15 minutes when the absurdity of my position overtook me. It seemed logical that I should join whoever was praying inside, so I opened the door, crossed the room through the darkness to a chair I could see was empty and knelt beside it. A long period of silence ensued and I began to feel that they were waiting for me to pray. I began to pray, others followed and God came down into that cabin. There was no unusual ecstatic or cataclysmic experience, but God visited us in a way none of us had known before. There was weeping and laughter, much talking and planning. What is most clear from that experience is the fact that upon the hearts of us who were in that prayer meeting was laid a burden for the world and a worldwide vision that persists to this day. Through the years that vision has been fulfilled in many respects in detail as we saw it that evening and the vision remains as fresh and vivid as ever to us. In the middle of the night, I finally got to my cabin but could not sleep. Under real compulsion, I spent time at the typewriter and wrote what later became as known as the four commitments of the fellowship of the burning heart. 
Brethren, there's a yellow sheet in the material that you were given when you came here yesterday that has a copy or is a copy of those four commitments. What is a burning heart? Brethren, I've spent all week trying to get a handle on the concept. Do you know what I've concluded? From the scripture, from meditation upon it, a burning heart is the captivating and consuming awareness of the presence of the Lord in your life. Would you like to know why many times we find ourselves only thriving when we ought to be, th I'm sorry, surviving when we ought to be thriving? It's because unfortunately many of us many times have lost that captivating and consuming awareness of the presence of the Lord in our lives. So what causes that to happen? Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to just take you back into the story that we have in front of us. Because as I studied through these verses, there were four things that immediately stood, about, stood out about these two men. It may well be that some of them are true in some of our lives. Number one, I want you to see they were disillusioned. Look with me, if you will, please, at verse 16. Actually, verse 15. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Do you know what I like about that thought? Jesus came and found them when they weren't sure where they could find him. Isn't that beautiful? Again, that's God at his best. That's God stepping into the lives of men like you and me. Can you imagine these two men walking down the road and Jesus, their living, resurrected Christ, joins them. But do you see what? 16 says, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. You know, I've asked myself, why did they not recognize him? Now, maybe the resurrected body appeared different than they had known him before. Maybe they were weeping and their eyes were dimmed by tears and their Swollen, bloodshot eyes just had trouble focusing. Maybe it was just shock. There's no way it could be him. They wouldn't even have expected it to be him, even if it was. Whatever the case, Jesus was there and they didn't see it. 
Guys, I wonder if there's anybody sitting in this room this morning who in the last six months has asked the famous question, where is God anyways? Now, I'm just going to speculate that there are probably more than a few of us that have. Because there are those times in life where that happens. I remember again talking to a friend several years ago who was asking me about my ministry and he said to me, what are you finding? You get around to a lot of churches. What are you finding? Do you know what my answer was immediately? Disillusionment. I said, our churches are filled with people. Our conservative, fundamental, traditional, separated churches are filled with people who for their lifetime have been putting check marks in the boxes on the list of a hundred things you have to do to be a good Christian. But they're still saying, but where's God in all this? Folks, I, I'm not ranting and raving on doing the right things. That's not the point. But you know what? You can do all the right things and still be out of touch with God. Disillusionment. Where is God in all of this? I remember listening to a friend of mine years ago talking about a Chinese pastor who had come to America and they were taking him around the country visiting ministries and letting him preach in churches. After almost a month, the question was put to him, so now that you've been here for a number of weeks, what do you think of our American Christianity? This Chinese pastor paused momentarily and said, I am amazed at how much you have accomplished without God. Where's God? Can I tell you? Disillusionment will keep you in survival mode. Let me show you a second thing. Number one, they were disillusioned. Number two, they were discouraged. Verse number 17, And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these, that ye have one another as ye walk and are... That next word, sad. Now, you know as well as I do, particularly the book of Psalms says it so well, I will be glad in the Lord. Please don't think I'm just griping this morning, but I've been to enough churches even this year already to know that not everybody who will be in this auditorium tomorrow morning will be here filled with gladness. Really? The joy of the Lord will not be their strength. They will not be rejoicing in the Lord always. They will not be giving thanks in everything. They'll be discouraged. It may well be that the last week has been the toughest week of their life. It may well be that the last year was harder on them than life has ever been. Instead of gladness, there's sadness. That's where these men were. They were discouraged. Discouragement may well be one of the greatest weapons in the devil's arsenal. 
to be flat honest with you, I think there have as many men of God been taken down and out by discouragement as immorality. Dare I say, maybe even more. Because I seem to be around the crowd of guys that for the most part are true to their wives and live in pure and men of integrity, but they're discouraged. And the devil, in so doing, has cleaned their clock for God. But there's a third thing. Number three, they were disappointed. Look at verse 21. But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. You know, it's interesting how Jesus didn't get all over them. I like that. Jesus just asked them questions, kind of let them talk it out. Can I tell you that I have discovered that when dealing with people whether in my family or whether in ministry, I have learned that it has been very beneficial to move from exclamation points to question marks. You are far more effective if you ask a question than if you make a statement. Jesus hears these men discussing current affairs, but He doesn't come flying in there and says, Get over it, boys! You said, what are you talking about? They kind of spill it out as if to say, you don't know? Of course he knew. But he's helping them. He's letting them talk it out. And they make this amazing statement. Notice it there in verse 21. But we trusted. Do you know what they were saying? This is what we thought would happen, but it didn't. Have you ever had one of those we trusted moments? We trusted our kids would turn out better than they did. We trusted that this new job was going to be more enjoyable. We trusted that the healing and rehab would come quicker after the surgery. We trusted that people would treat us better when we came to this church or went to that job. Hey, listen, we've all had them, haven't we? Expectations that were not fulfilled leads to disappointments. But I'm telling you, brethren, disappointments will put you in survival mode. Notice number four, they were distressed. Verse 22, yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, and they found not his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. Men, there should have been no greater delight than to hear what they heard. Man, they should have been high-fiving each other, jumping up and down, cheering, celebrating, Jesus is alive. They weren't. They were astonished. Now listen, I'm a student of words. I love to study words in the Bible, in the English language, whatever the case may be. I jumped on this one. Do you know what I discovered it means? To be at wit's end. 
And by the way, Wits End isn't always an ice cream stand in Adventures in Odyssey. <laughs> These guys had hit the wall. The same word in the original language is used 17 times in the New Testament. Six times it's translated amazed. Six times it's tra translated astonished. Two times it's translated bewitched. Two times it's translated beside oneself. And one time it's translated to wonder. These guys are just totally out of it. Anything happened that distressed you? You know what? There's a good possibility if you weren't careful, it puts you in survival mode. So we have this scene. We're starting to connect, aren't we? We're starting to connect and almost feel like we're there on the road to Emmaus, aren't we? Why? Because the four D words, man, we've been there and done that. So what happened? Guys, I want to give you four quick heart changers that'll move you from survival mode to thriving. It worked for these guys. Number one, they had a confrontation with Jesus. Verse 31 says this. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. Granted, there were some other things in the process. But when they saw him... Not the current events, not headline news, not the circumstances, not other people's opinions. When they saw him, things began to change. You know, the word of God makes it so clear. Looking unto Jesus. Brethren, what a tragedy that some of us have let our eyes wander. We've lost our Christ-centered focus in life. Concentration is minimal. But when you get your focus, get your attention, get your eyes back on Jesus, what does the songwriter say? Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. This whole thing began to change when they saw him. Number two, they had a connection with Jesus. Not only could we say they saw him, we could say they met him. Verse 29 says this. They constrained him saying, abide with us. <laughs> you know, for the longest time, John 15 and Hudson Taylor's story and testimony the abiding life, it perplexed me. I, I know the vine and the branches. I've, I've read all that and bearing fruit and more fruit and much. Abiding. This makes it so simple. They just said, abide with us. 
Come on home. Do you know what they were talking about? Time. And he went in to tarry with them. You know, maybe you've looked through one of these spinning book racks in a truck stop or a convenience store, you know, these, these life books. Did you ever see one of these 60-second devotionals for the busy man type book? Guys, here's the best way I know how to break that down. It would be like saying, for the next 30 days, I'm going to eat one pack of cheese and crackers each day. You talk about malnourished, you talk about undernourished. Isn't it amazing, however, that thriving in the presence of the Lord takes time. Now, I will grant you, there have been times in my ministry, probably even at events like this, where I wore guys out over getting up early and staying up late and an hour of this and an hour of that and you've got to pray more and you've got to study more. And, and then I put in some long days with my son in his tree business and uh, had the experience of leaving at seven in the morning and coming home at five in the night after dragging brush and cutting limbs all day out there and I walked into the house and let, set down my lunch box and walked to the couch and laid down on the couch and covered up with an afghan and went to sleep for an hour before I could even eat supper. At that point, I went, oh my, maybe I was a little hard on the guys. What I'm saying is this, I realize our lifestyles vary. I get it. But my dear brother, if you're going to live in the presence of Jesus, don't just try to find time for him. Make it. You'll have to make it. Brethren, there is enough time in every 24 hours for everything that is the will of God. And I fear sometimes that I'm too busy is more of a lousy excuse than a legitimate reason. Do you know what it was that started to change the hearts of these men? They met with Jesus. Number three, they had a conversation with him. They saw him, they met him, they heard him. Verse 32, they're talking about the fact he talked with us by the way. Men, when you're on good speaking terms with God, you'll thrive. You really will. Oh, I realize that a sweet hour like yesterday afternoon may not always be available all the time. But you know what? You'll come to the realization that prayer is not just a prayer Time, it's a prayer life. And a prayer life goes on through constant communication with God. I was talking with God, 
are talking with Jesus that allowed these men to change. But there's a fourth thing. They had a consultation with Jesus. Consultation is just simply a communication of information. They saw him, they met him, they heard him, they understood him. Verse 32, he opened to us the scriptures. What does that mean? Verse 27, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Do you know how to get to know an author? Read his book. Don't let me oversimplify this. But that cheese and crackers for the next 30 days will starve you physically. 60 seconds of devotions for the man who wants to have a burning heart won't work either. Get into the Word and let yourself learn and grow as you are nourished from the Word. Isn't it amazing how when this little account began, you've got these two survivors wandering down the road, headed home, assuming that there really isn't much hope at this point. By the time we get to the end of the story, they're not surviving, they're thriving. They are captivated and consumed with an awareness of the presence of Jesus. And what is their statement? Did not our heart burn within us? Guys, there's something that happens when you encounter the Lord in a fresh way. For Richard Halverson, it was a little cabin at a camp and conference center at a Sunday school conference when some people got together to pray. For these two men, it was a walk on the road to, to Emmaus. What's it going to be for you? Guys, you've been given a copy of Halverson's Fellowship of the Burning Heart. Several of you brethren came in late. There's a whole stack out on the counter. We'll make sure you get your materials. Could I challenge you to take that list, read it through, think it through, and pray it through. Oh, for Richard Halverson, they just became his commitments, but maybe the very same commitments will become yours. The fellowship of a burning heart, it's what is enjoyed and experienced by men who know the Lord. Father, I pray today that this will be much more than just another New Testament story that typically gets taught or talked about in the spring, a week after Easter. But God, may we from this account learn powerful, life-changing truth. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.
to ask a question? And I'm just, it's just us guys, so there's no need to, to beat around the bush. How many of you sitting in this room this morning would say, Brother Tom, if I'm totally honest right now, I'm pretty much just in survival mode. If that's true, will you lift your hand? Mm. Oh my, you may put them down. You know what, Pastor, I think we just need to take a couple moments. I know we've said we would do that. Uh, Daniel, if you've got a song in mind, that's fine. But those of you, brethren, that just lifted your hand, could I invite you even in this quiet closing moment of this session, why don't you just get up out of your seat, come on down here to the front. You can kneel or sit. Just get before God and just make an honest confession. I'm tired of surviving. I want to thrive. I'm just going to be quiet. When God's meeting with us, we don't want to hurry that up. So let's just let the Lord have his way. Pastor, as the Lord directs, then you, you move ahead. My Father, come to you, Lord, just asking you, Lord, to stir our hearts, put a fire down inside of us, Lord, a burning desire, Lord, to keep our eyes on Jesus and Jesus alone. Lord, that the world may fade away from us. The lust thereof, Lord, will be removed from us. And God will be refreshed and renewed in our walk with God and our understanding of who Christ is. And God, our lives will be powerful, valuable in the hands of Almighty God. Bless us, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.